It's great to have you. If this is your first time here, thanks for being at the journey. Like Kathleen was saying, we hope you'll try us out for five weeks. And if not, you can try us out next Sunday. Come to Starting Point during the service, and we'd love to get you connected if this is a place that feels right for you. All right? Uh, Kathleen, as she just said, we're finishing up this series called Workology. And uh, if you haven't been here, we are talking about this connection between our work world and our faith. And really, we should have them intertwined with each other. Because if our faith is important, our work should be important to us too. And so we've been spending the last few weeks talking through uh, the study of work and and our faith connected to it. And today, as we finish, we're going to talk about leadership. Okay? Now, when I say that word leadership, many of you think about a title or a position, don't we? And then you think about people you know, or you've worked with in the past, or you work with right now, and you're like, they are terrible leaders, right? Well, I think we got to get beyond the title and the position. I think we got to think about leadership in another way. So I'm going to share this definition with you about leadership that I think is, is, is spot on. Here it is. Leadership is when we influence the thinking, beliefs, or development of someone else. Leadership is when we influence the thinking, beliefs, or development of someone else. As you think about that definition, here's what that means. Every single person in this room, everybody who's watching online right now, we are all leaders. Because in some way, we influence other people. Now, it may be in the work setting, but it may be at home. It could be in your neighborhood. It could be with your bunco club. It could be leading the AAU basketball team. If you do any of those type of things, you are a leader because you influence people in some way. And so today, I want to talk about that influence. And and more specifically, I want to talk about where that influence comes from. Because it's not just about having influence. That that influence has to come from a, a good place inside of us. And so we're going to spend our time talking about leadership, influence, and where that should come from inside of each one of us. And we're going to do that by looking at a conversation that Jesus has with a couple of his disciples in Luke chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 35, here's what it says. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Jesus has these 12 disciples um, these students that he's chosen to follow him. And, uh, and within that group of 12, he's got this inner circle. There are these three guys that he spends a ton of time with, Peter, and then James and John. And so James and John come to Jesus and say, hey, we, we got a request. And here was Jesus' response in verse 36. He says, what is your request? I have this in my mind that when they ask this question, if you got teenagers, you know what I'm getting ready to say. Like, you know what your teenagers are getting ready to ask. And what do you do? You roll your eyes, right? And you chuckle a little bit like, okay, what, what is your request? Because you know exactly what's going to happen. I, I kind of feel like that's where Jesus is right now with James and John. Well, here's how Jesus responded in verse 37. When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. So James and John have a pretty big request of Jesus. They, they think Jesus is going to build this earthly kingdom and they want to be a part of that and they want to make sure they've got some of the best seats in this administration that Jesus is putting together. Now, why do they do this? And what is it about them that makes them feel they have the right to do this? 
There's a couple of things that are possibilities here. One, they're part of this inner circle. There's this friendship, this relationship with Jesus. And so maybe that, that relationship they have, they feel like it's pretty deep. So we can ask Jesus for these positions in this administration, this earthly kingdom they think is going to happen. But there's some other pieces to this, too. Could have been that they felt like they were privileged. Uh, their dad was thought to have owned a pretty successful fishing business there. And uh, so it's possible they kind of looked at what they had and thought, hey, you know what? Because we're a little bit more privileged than some of these other guys, we should ask for these important positions in this administration. It's also thought that they were related to the high priest at the time. So there's this political, religious connection kind of known in the community. And so maybe that's why they're asking this question. And then there's also this, this piece to it that uh, it's possible, again, that they were cousins of Jesus. And so they're using the nepotism angle to try to get these positions. But whatever it is, they come to Jesus and are like, hey, here's what we want, Jesus. This is the favor. Here's the request that we have from you. Whether it's family success, all the connections they have, this relationship they have with Jesus, they, they want these special spots and what Jesus is, again, for them, administration is going to look like. Verse 38, but Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? And, and I love their answers. Oh, yes, we are able. So here's Jesus, and Jesus uses a cup, right? Is this sort of this metaphor for life? And Jesus says, here's this cup. <laughs> You think you can drink from this because it's pretty bitter and there's a lot of suffering in it. And these guys are like, sure, we could do this. But they don't realize what Jesus is saying. See, what they're connected to is they're thinking about this power that they're going to get. If we have these important roles and we're going to have power, we can lead people. You know what? When you lead people, it is hard and it's tough and you got to have hard conversations and you get to tell people what to do. I mean, there's a lot of suffering in that. So their, their minds are in this different place than what Jesus intends for them to understand. And so in the end, they're like, yeah, we can do that. Verse 39. And Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. I want to kind of step back from what we're reading right now to right before this, we, we find Jesus is with the disciples, all 12 of them, and he's having a conversation with them as they're walking together towards Jerusalem. Now, you have to understand, these are Jesus' last steps into Jerusalem. He's getting ready to, over the next few days, be arrested and put to death. So he knows what's getting ready to happen. And so he shares with them. He says, hey, guys, some bad stuff's going to take place. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. And, and if we go back to James and John, there's going to be a bitter cup to drink. There's suffering that's coming. And he's like, my impending death is, is right at, at the door. I want you to think about that just for a second. If you were in Jesus's place and you know what's getting ready to happen in the next few days. But then think about this. Around you, you have all these people, crowds of people, right? And when I say crowds, I'm not talking like tens of tens of people. I'm not talking about hundreds and hundreds of people. I'm talking thousands upon thousands of people. Everywhere you go, these crowds are following you. They're listening to you. 
They're telling you about how great you are, how amazing you are. They love being around you. They love seeing you at work and doing what you do. And then you've got people like James and John that are coming up to you and like, hey, when, like when you're president, we want to be Speaker of the House and Vice President. Can you make this happen for us? How enticing would it be to say, God, thanks, but no thanks. Like, I don't really like the direction you're taking things, but I really like what I'm hearing from all these other people. I really think this is the way this should go. How enticing would it be for us to have done something different than Jesus did. See, that's what leadership is all about. It's this battle between what we may desire or want for ourselves and what is actually best for those around us. And in the end, I think what's best for us. Because I think about Jesus right here, and and I I put myself in his place, and, and I Think about what James and John are asking and all this, this crowds. I mean, he's a, he's a celebrity. How does Jesus not take those steps? What is it that's so different about him that allows him to trust fully in God and to live out what God has asked him to do? In 1992, Ken Blanchard wrote a book called One Minute Manager. Some of you have probably read that. Uh, I read it and forgot everything in it, so I probably should go back and read it again. But uh, at the age of 48, he became a follower of Jesus. And as he's reading Scripture, as he's reading through the Bible, he starts to have these questions that, that he just couldn't let go of. And one particular question really, really bothered him. He wanted to know what was it that made Jesus an incredible leader for such a powerful movement of people. He said it just doesn't make sense because as he looked at The life of Jesus, he said, here's Jesus. Really, he's a nobody, if we can be honest. He's born to Joseph and and Mary. Joseph's a carpenter. They're young. They're not the powerful elite. They're not royalty. And that's not usually the way these kind of movements began. And so here's Jesus, who's really kind of a country boy, if you will. And and he looks at that and he's like, this doesn't quite, quite add up. And then he looks at Jesus' life and he says, Jesus lived in a bubble of about 200 miles. He never went outside of that. And in most movements, you've got the people that are kind of leading, though. They're going way beyond that so they can see more and more people, meet more and more people, and tell their story and why they exist and what they're doing. But Jesus, Jesus stayed in a, a pretty central location. And then, of course, there's the disciples who we're reading about here. And if you know much about the disciples, they're not really the cream of the crop of the day, right? They had some problems, some struggles that are there. And so... Blanchard looks at them like, these aren't the people you would choose to follow you to get this movement going. And so Blanchard, as he thinks about this, he's like, there had to be something about Jesus' leadership and who he was that made him so influential in such a way that we have this movement that's still around 2,000 years later. And so Blanchard wrote a book called Lead Like Jesus, and he wrote about what Jesus did that made him this incredible leader besides, you know, being Jesus and God's son, right? And so there are four elements that he said he saw in Jesus. He said he saw the heart of Jesus. He saw the head of Jesus. He saw the hands of Jesus, and he saw the habits of Jesus. Now, we could do a whole sermon series on those four elements, and it would be great because there's so much good stuff in there. But I want to I kind of do a subset here of the habits piece. Because there are five habits that Blanchard talks about 
that he says, because Jesus was so focused on these things, it allowed him to be this incredible leader. Because of what was happening inside of him, his influence was so powerful in the lives of others. And so I want to spend our time talking through those five habits and why they're important. All right, here's habit number one that he talked about, experiencing solitude. Experiencing solitude. If you read much about successful people today, successful people in our world, right, uh, here, here's what you'll find. Almost every single one of them talks about how they spend some solitude by themselves every single day. Like no distractions, no people, nothing happening. And in that solitude, they're just kind of thinking about what they're doing and who they are. And they're thinking about what's coming up for the rest of the day. But, but, but they're by themselves. And here's what we do. We buy those books and we read that. We're like, what an amazing idea. There was a dude 2,000 years ago. His name was Jesus. And guess what he did all the time? He experienced solitude over and over and over again. In fact, right before um, what I just read here in Mark chapter 10, verse 32, I, I didn't read this, but I'm going to go back and read it. It says, they were now on the way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. So Jesus had just told them, hey, some bad stuff's going to happen. It's not going to be real pretty. It's going to be a tough time as we go into Jerusalem. But they keep walking, and, and Jesus actually walks ahead of them. The, the disciples are behind them. This is before James and John got bold and came up to speak to Jesus. And so they, they, he's walking by himself. Now, why, why would he do that? He's looking for a moment of solitude. He's looking for a time to just not be distracted by other people, by the disciples, because Jesus is carrying a pretty big burden. Again, he knows what's getting ready to happen in the next few days, and he knows what his future holds. But this isn't the only time. We find this over and over again. Uh, when when J Jesus is, is preparing to lead other people, he finds moments of solitude. When he's making important decisions, he finds moments of solitude. When amazing, incredible stuff happens, he finds moments of solitude. When he's grieving, carrying a burden, like I'm sure he is right here and now, in these events that we're reading about, he's looking for those moments of solitude. See, that was one of the habits that was so important to Jesus. He experienced solitude in his life. Or you and I experienced solitude in ours. But then Blanchard talks about habit number two for Jesus was practicing prayer. Next week, we're going to start a series called Dangerous Prayer. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on, on this. You come back next week and as we talk about, of course, prayer. But, um, but we find Jesus prays a lot, right? And not only does he pray a lot, but he finds these moments of solitude. And in those moments of solitude, he spends time, time praying. And we read that Jesus does this frequently. Uh, again, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place to pray. Why would he do this over and over again? Because he understood the importance of it. He understood the importance of taking some time to not be distracted by the world around him and taking some time to connect with God through prayer. And why did he pray? He was preparing to lead other people. He was making important decisions. He was thankful about the amazing things God was doing. He was grieving, carrying burdens. And so prayer was important to Jesus too. For us, are we practicing prayer in our lives? But then habit number three is knowing and applying Scripture. Knowing and applying Scripture. 
Last week, I talked about Joseph and how he would have grabbed Jesus, made him an apprentice in this carpentry business, so he could teach Jesus how to be a good carpenter, how he could teach Jesus how to be a good business owner. But, but that wasn't the only teaching going on in that home. Joseph and Mary would have taught Jesus lots of Scripture. And why would they have done that? Well, they were good Jewish parents. They were good Jewish people, and they loved their history, and they loved their God, and they wanted to make sure that these things and these ideas were all instilled in Jesus. And so every day they'd probably spend a little bit of time reading through the Scriptures. Now, When I, when I talk about the Scriptures, the New Testament didn't exist then, okay? They were the New Testament. All they have is the Old Testament. So they're teaching Jesus about the Old Testament, how to apply that in his life. And then what do we find in his ministry? We find often he's in the synagogue, he's reading scripture, and he's talking about it. He's teaching, actually, the teachers about this because, one, he's so versed in it, and again, he's Jesus. But then he also uses scripture when he's with crowds of people and he's teaching them, when he's with his disciples and he's teaching them. And sometimes he's like, hey, this is what it says, this is great. Some other times he's like, hey, you know, that's what it says there, but I'm here now, this is what this is going to look like. But he knows scripture. And he's applying it in his life. Are you reading to know and apply Scripture in your life? Now, I, I, I know that we're familiar with this, right? And, and we know the importance of it. And sometimes we just choose not to do it for various reasons. And maybe it's because our alarm goes off in the morning and we shoot out the door, don't we? Alarm goes off, and we jump in the shower, and we get dressed, and we eat. And if you got kids, you're getting them ready for school and everything that goes along with that. And then you're trying to get on 395 and beat the traffic, hopefully before the sewer truck you know, goes over at the Springfield intersection so you don't have to mess with that. Or you're trying to get to the Springfield Metro and catch that early, early train. Or maybe over here on Backlick, you want to catch the bus to the Pentagon. And though you get in your office and you grab the coffee and you walk in or you run in and you get to the computer and you look at your calendar for the day, it's like meeting, 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 15-minute lunch, meeting, 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 right? Phone call, presentation. You're like, whew, got a busy day. And when we get to that point in our office, you know what we're not going to do? We're not going to have any solitude. We're not going to have any prayer time. We're not going to read any scripture. We're just going to go through the motions of our day. And when we do have a break, you know what we're going to spend those 23 minutes doing for break time? We're going to smoke, right? Were you guys not here last week? We talked about 23-minute breaks of smoking during the day. Okay. Go back and listen to them last week. I don't know that makes sense. I've had two terrible jokes today, and that's the second one. So I had a terrible one first service. So anyway, forget about the smoking joke. How do we find time for solitude prayer? Let's talk about important stuff. Solitude prayer. And time in Scripture. I, I got an idea. This is very practical. Some of you are already doing this, right? So you don't need to listen to me. But if you're not doing this, let me give you something practical you can do. How many of you use a, an alarm clock when you wake up in the morning? That's what wakes you up, right? Maybe you got that General Electric faux wood one with the red letters on it. Anybody actually still use one of those? Holy cow, for real? Dang. I'm impressed. You might want to upgrade, though. I don't know. You might want to upgrade. Uh, most of us probably use, there's a few of you that are weird and you just like wake up. I don't know how you do that. God bless you, but you just have that ability. But most of us probably use our phone, right? Our phone is our alarm clock. And so when I, that alarm goes off, we're, we're ready for the day. In fact, that's what our minds do. Like 6 a.m., we'll just say 6 a.m. I know some of you wake up earlier, some of you later. That's okay. But 6 a.m. is our average here. So 6 a.m., your alarm goes off. Mind starts racing, doesn't it? 
We start thinking about the day and everything that's happening, the meeting, the presentation, the phone call, and i got to deal with this and talk to this person. I've got this conversation. And so that's what our minds do. I've got, a, I've got a very practical idea for us, okay? If you struggle with solitude and prayer and reading Scripture, when your alarm goes off tomorrow morning, for you guys, the faux wood, General Electric one, but for everybody else, you know, your, your phone, when it goes off, I want you to hit snooze, okay? Don't go back to sleep. And don't grab your phone and start scrolling through TikTok videos, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your phone, and you hit snooze, okay? Hit snooze. But I want you to just sit there and lay there in your bed for a second. This is your moment of solitude. Now, I know you're like, but my spouse is right there beside me. Look, we don't talk to our spouses in the morning, right? We don't look at each other. We don't talk because our breath is terrible, We don't really want to do much with each other in the morning. So you just kind of build this cone of solitude around you, okay? Alarm's gone off. You've hit snooze. Just sit there and just maybe take a couple of deep breaths. And then here's what I want you to do next. As your mind starts going crazy about the day ahead, and you're thinking about that meeting, you're thinking about that presentation, you're thinking about that interaction with that person, how about instead of running through your day, how about praying through your day? Like, oh, I got that meeting today. Hey, God, can you, can you give me some wisdom as I go into this meeting? Hey, God, I got this presentation that's coming up, and you know, I'm looking for some other ideas. Kind of guide somebody to help me through this or just help me understand what I need to be doing here. Or, or hey, God, I, I got to be on this phone call, and, and I know what the phone call is about, but I also know that this person is going through some tough times in their life. Help me to, to not only see this as an opportunity for work, but also as a personal connection for them. Instead of running through our day, how about we pray through our day as the morning begins? And then here's the other thing you do. If you've got the Bible app on your phone, pull it up and read some scripture. In fact, if you go on the Bible app, I believe you can set up a schedule for it to send you a verse or some reading every single day at whatever time you want it to come. And so if you wake up at 6, have it send it at 6 a.m., you've got times of solitude, you've got some scripture to read, and you can pray through your day. You got nine minutes. I still don't understand to this day why this news is only for nine minutes, but nine minutes to spend some time alone, to spend some time with God, and to read through Scripture. I can't think of a better way to start our day, and I can tell you that God will use that in incredible ways in our life. So if you're not doing that, there's something to try. All right, let's keep going here. Habit number four maintain supportive relationships. Uh, we all have relationships. Uh, we have different kinds of relationships. We've got work relationships. We've got activities that we're a part of, or maybe if you've got kids that they're a part of, and you've got those relationships. Um, we, we've got neighbors that we are connected to, but, but too often, especially in a place like this, they're very superficial relationships, aren't they? You know, we, we just kind of connect. And we, I mean, we'll say, like, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, having a rough time. Okay, great, wonderful. Hope things turn out better for you, and we move on. That's just kind of the way we are. How many of us have supportive intentional relationships with people in our life? How many of us have people in our life that push us? How many of us have relationships with people in our life that help to grow us? I mean, do you have people in your life that are speaking into your life, truth into your life? Do you have people that are helping you through those tough times? Do you have people that help you in crises? Whether that's physical, mental, spiritual crisis, How many of us have people like that in our lives? Well, Jesus had that. 
Jesus had intentional, supportive relationships. He had friends, right? But, but then he has these 12 disciples. And inside of that, again, he's got this inner circle of three. And that inner circle of three was with Jesus in some of his most momentous moments in his life. They were there to be a support for Jesus. Why do we do groups here at The Journey? It's not to say, for us to be able to say, hey, we do groups at The Journey, okay? Like, we're like every other church. We want to do groups. Um, and some of you might not like this answer. We don't do groups because we're trying to use groups as a way to help you grow in your faith and to read more scripture and to, to understand it better. It's not our main reason, okay? And you can disagree with that. That's fine. Let me tell you the main reason. I'll connect it back. The main reason is we want people to build relationships with other people. And you know what will come out of that? If we build good, healthy relationships... We will grow in our faith. We will become stronger in what we know and as we read Scripture and understand it. But groups are about building these relationships. And here's what I can tell you. Talking to you and talking to people in our community, we have so many superficial relationships. We don't have supportive, intentional, deep relationships with other people. And our groups are there for that. Now, I will let you know, too, our groups are not perfect. They are messy. And it's because you are in them. Right? And it's because I'm in one too. And so if you're like going to a group, like, this is great. We're going to have intentional relationships. It's going to be supportive relationships. And you may not see that quite happening. That just means we're trying to figure it out too. And so maybe you got to be the person to say, hey, I need to build this intentional relationship with you. I see what you're going through. I hear what you're going through. Let me invest in you. And at the same time, hey, would, would you invest in me too? I believe God can do amazing things when we have these strong relationships with other people, understanding that we are all messy, but we're doing life together. And so as Kathleen said, as you leave today, man, if you're not in a group, we hope you'll stop by our guests or our group tent outside and talk to them, jump into a group. It is a great way to begin to build some relationships that we hope are more than the relationships we have. But, but Jesus did this, maintaining supportive relationships. And here's the last one, and this one is really, really weird, okay? Accepting and abiding in God's unconditional love. Like these other ones, you can kind of think, like, I can get in a group, and I can have some solitude, and I can pray, and I can read Scripture. What, <laughs> what is accepting and abiding in God's unconditional love? And what does that have to do with, with leadership? Blanchard wrote this in his book, God's love will change you and by extension change your leadership. You will see leadership differently. It becomes less about power and control and more about the stewardship of the people you touch and of the work God has given you to do. You will see people differently too. Rather than seeing them as a means to accomplish the results you want, you realize that God has the same love for them that he has for you. I love this last statement. Work becomes an act of worship. And your workplace, an outpost of God's kingdom. We are an action-based group of people, aren't we? We are results-oriented. We have goals. We have deadlines. We have project management systems we use. We have calendars and Gantt charts. And we focus on those all the time. And so when it comes to work, we are so results and goal-oriented. So sometimes we, we are so focused on that as to the detriment of ourselves and to the detriment of the relationships that we have with other people, specifically those that we work with. Because results are what drive us. 
And so could it be the biggest issue that we have, the biggest piece to the puzzle of our leadership being what it needs to be is this habit right here, accepting and abiding in God's unconditional love. This this was Jesus. This was who Jesus was. I mean, how is it Jesus is able to take those steps into Jerusalem? Knowing exactly what this meant for him. Knowing exactly what he was going to experience over the next few days. And then at the same time, trying to kind of move himself, remove himself, if you will, from what everybody else was wanting from him and desired for him to kind of build this earthly kingdom. And they wanted to be a part of that and lead. How is it Jesus is able to take the steps that he does? It's because of this habit right here. Accepting and abiding in God's unconditional love. And because that was such a part of who Jesus was, he could fully trust God and follow the steps that God laid out for him. How about for you and for me? Can we accept and can we fully abide in God's unconditional love for us? And think about this. If we do this in our work world, it will change us. The words that we use will be different. Our actions, reactions, our body language, the way we do meetings, the way that we deal with tough times, all of that will be different in us. Why? It'll be different because we're abiding and accepting God's unconditional love for us. And if we can do that, it'll make us better people. It'll make us better leaders, and it'll make us better followers of Jesus. Maybe for you, you're trying to figure that out. What does that look like for you? Or you're looking to take that first step. Um, For us, baptism is a big piece to that. Uh, Next Sunday, we have baptisms during our services, and so we invite you. If you are like, hey, I want to take this step, we would love to have you take that step next week. You can uh, take a picture of that QR code and sign up on the connection card there, or you can take the paper in front of you and take it out to our guest tent at the end of our time and we'll contact you and talk to you about that because that's a big part of of who we we need to be when it comes to who we are spiritually maybe that's our first step accepting and abiding and God's unconditional love is understanding what that unconditional love looks like for us for others of us maybe we're already followers of Christ we've already taken that step and maybe for us it's just being reminded of that because maybe we're doing some of those other habits but man for me this is This is the one that made Jesus this amazing and powerful leader of this this movement. I mean, sure, he's God's son, and he's Jesus. But because he was so connected to what God had in store for him, God used him in amazing and incredible ways. How does he use Jesus? Well, he uses Jesus through those habits. Jesus was such a, internally, was just where he needed to be. And so that spiritual DNA was there for him to influence people in such a way this movement just grew and grew and grew. And again, still exists 2,000 years from then. But how about for you and I? What does this look like for us today? What, What if we take these steps? What does this look like for us to influence the lives of others? Well, let me finish up this passage here. Verse 41. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Indignant means they were really mad, okay, which totally makes sense. They were like, why are they asking for these positions We might want those too. Verse 42. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, 
and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's a key phrase in here. Jesus tells them, but among you, it will be different. He's like, this is what the world says. This is what leadership looks like in the world. And this is what you want for me. You want me to act like the world here. But here's the deal. For you, it will be different. You're not going to be here to be served. He's like, I didn't come to be served by other people. I came to serve others. And how does Jesus get to that place of where he understands that's who he is? It's because of these habits that have been formed from his, I think from his birth, the time he's put to death. And those habits changed him in such a way that he fully understand his purpose, his reason for being here and able to live that out. And he tells his disciples, he says, hey, for you guys, it's going to be different too. You're going to be different because of who you are. You may not quite get this right now, but in the days and weeks to come, you're going to be just like me. You're going to understand you are not here to be served. You're not here for some title. You're not here for some position. But you are here to serve others, which in the end is going to allow you to influence people's lives, not for your own good, but for God's kingdom here on this earth, and beyond. But for you, among you, it will be different. My hope is that as we finish this series today, and as you think about your work life and your life life, and as you think about leadership, may it be the same for us. May it be that we are different in this world because of who Jesus is in our lives and our souls. Let's pray. God, thank you for the life of Jesus that gives us so much to learn and, and attempt to understand and, and try to live out. It's, it's not hard, or excuse me, it's, it's hard to be a follower of Jesus because our wants and desires take over. What the world tells us that we should want desire takes over, and we forget about accepting and abiding in your unconditional love. God, I'm still amazed when I think about the story of Jesus and his life and, and everything that happened that he, he could just say, no, I, I don't, I, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to follow in, in God's, God's plan and God's path for my life. Because I don't know if any of us could have done that, God. But I truly believe it's because he abided and accepted your unconditional love. And so my prayer right now is we do the same thing that we accept and abide in your love for us through who Jesus was and still is to us today. And in the end, God, may it be that we are different because of Jesus.